This Autoconverse podcast is brought to you in part by DealerBelt. DealerBuilt provides a highly flexible enterprise-class dealer management system that enables leading auto dealerships to efficiently and effectively operate their unique business as well as optimize the customer experience. DealerBuilt partners with hundreds of dealerships and dealer groups, combining its innovative technology, real-world industry expertise, and extensive network of integration partners to provide a comprehensive DMS solution complete with built-in consumer experience tools that ultimately delivers a competitive advantage for our dealership clients. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash dealerbuilt. That's www.autoconverse.com forward slash dealerbuilt. And thank you. With Sam Elliott just humming the words himself. My heart's so, sad for Sam Elliott, by the way. So. Yeah, I know. Although, I, I, while I hated that commercial, I hated the fact that he was in it and had to deal with it. I did enjoy. I did laugh at the moment at the part where his uh, his uh, mustache did the wave. Uh, right. <laughs> that was kind of funny. But uh, other than that, I felt like, oh, poor Sam Elliott. Uh, but it seemed like a lot of commercials, a lot of brands were banking on you going into the commercial, going into the Super Bowl commercial, having some awareness of what their commercial was going to be, whether it was like a prequel, sequel type of situation, or just being like teased with uh, an earlier spot that played elsewhere. So, which familiarity is sales, baby. Well, Stella, yeah. Ar- Stella Artoy really pulled that off last year, if you remember. Yeah. yeah. They had like three variations or snippets of the same commercial, but then you got the whole thing on the Super Bowl. Right. Which I thought was cool. I think that's yeah. Good. No, I agree. It just it seemed like they went a little too far. A lot of brands really went in, went at it this year, and you had to bring it in. Just okay. I'm going to put my stamp on the TurboTax one <laughs> with the you know everyone's doing their legs, the shaky the shaky leg thing. Yeah, because you, you not like that. Well, at first I'm like, what is going on here? Like it was kind of weird, um, but by the time it finished, I was like. Wow. That was kind of brilliant. Like, you're not going to forget that commercial. <laughs> so many times you see a commercial that is good, but you forget who it was. You know, like, you, you just don't even know who it was. And I felt like TurboTax did a great job of sticking their name to that, that, that commercial. And I think I saw a version of it yesterday or something. I don't know if I was watching TV. And I was like, I was like that. I, I don't know. I felt like that was pretty well done. And because it stood out as well as it did. It stood out and it, it had great brand recognition, but it's also very uh, topical right now because everyone's doing their taxes. I mean, heck, today I just got my tax return. So, I mean, I used TurboTax, got my tax return in a couple of weeks. And, you know, it's, it's something that sticks out. It's also topical. People are thinking about taxes. And, you know, while the shaky leg was weird and odd, you're right. By the end of the commercial, you know, it was just kind of catchy. People kind of like caught on. Thought, so. Yeah, that stood out for me. The other one I stood out I thought was cool, maybe because I'm a Jeep fan, was the uh, ground, the Bill Murray Groundhog Day. With the oh, I'm, I'm a Bill Murray fan, so that was my favorite spot of the day. So yeah. yeah, yeah. As a movie guy, of course, you know Groundhog Day. The fact that the Super Bowl is on Groundhog Day made it even more, you know, superfluous. It just was perfect. Uh, you know, the fact that they, you know, Jeep took advantage was great. Although I will say that, you know, while the Bill Murray was great, I did think that all the brands missed out because it was Super Bowl, you know, fifty four. L-I-V, why was Liv Tyler not featured in the Super Bowl commercial? (laughs) Super Bowl Liv commercial. They missed out there. They missed the boat. But uh, otherwise, Jeep did great. The Bill Murray Groundhog Day was perfect. I think it, in many ways, won the day. Hey, 
Ah, remember those days back when we were talking about Super Bowl commercials and Groundhog Day and Bill Murray? That was a clip from the Mobility Tech and Connectivity Show on February 5th, the Wednesday after Super Bowl 54, about a week after President Trump had put a stop on flights from China. Remember that? Back when the World Health Organization was telling the world there's no reason to be concerned about the novel coronavirus. Well, things are much different now, aren't they? And while media conglomerates continue to spew mind-warping propaganda into the world to save face and serve their political interests, the rest of us are left to fend for ourselves. It's the new world, everybody. It's the new world. From Autoburst Media, this is Autoconverse. Hey, we got a good show lined up for you today. Oh, well, I'm a Game of Thrones nut, so that's, that's, that's my jam. The robots are listening. The robots are listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Autoconverse Mobility Tech and Connectivity Podcast, where we explore people, ideas, and technologies that influence how we are connected and the way we get around. I'm Ryan Girardi. Glad to be here with you. Look, if you're a regular listener, you know I'm trying to take a stand against what is happening in the world right now. As an American of the United States, I believe that much is at stake right now. And I know that that sentiment is shared by many, and hopefully the majority. This is not about the novel coronavirus as much as it is about power and corruption. There's an old adage that says, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is what we are faced with today. We are faced with a myriad of corruptions and scandals that are going on right now that ultimately harm the bourgeois, the average American worker. That's me, and chances are that's you too. And in light of that, I've put together a nice episode here for you, one that brings us back in time when the world wasn't so messed up, all the way back to January. And by January, I mean of this year, 2020. One of the challenges we've had here is that we do about 10 different recording sessions throughout each month to capture material for this podcast. Well, in January, everything was normal. We were living the quote-unquote old world where not only was coronavirus not even a part of the discussions, we were so oblivious to the fact that it was spreading itself around New York City like a Trojan horse on steroids. And naturally, our conversations at that time quickly became out of context to the current narrative of life and industry. But we hadn't released any of those conversations here on the podcast, not until now. So today I present to you a mashup of conversations from various recording sessions in January, not only to help us remember how life was only a few short months ago, but also because what we were talking about then remains important and relevant, even though it's slightly out of context within the reality of today. The first one I'm going to share is my conversation with Best Mile CEO and co-founder Raphael Gindrat. Raphael is a pioneer in the world of autonomous mobility. He led a project with the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology to test and operate one of the first autonomous vehicles in Europe and was actively involved in the European project City Mobile 2. Raphael is now CEO and co-founder of Best Mile, 
which empowers mobility providers to deploy, manage, and optimize autonomous and conventional-driven vehicle fleets. Raphael was attending CES at the time, and he had dialed in to talk with me from the event in Las Vegas about how to plan, manage, and optimize mobility services with fleet orchestration. Here's the conversation. So, Raphael, let's go ahead and bring you on camera. Good afternoon. Great to have you here. Good afternoon. And uh, as I mentioned, you're in Las Vegas today attending CES. Uh, it seems quiet where you are, so you must have found some private space, but you're here on day two at CES. You're not exhibiting. You're, you're there to network and participate, but maybe uh, give, us, give us a glimpse of what you're seeing there. Well, it's a crazy event, like, like each year. Uh, I think CES is becoming more and more a tech event. Uh, you see more and more tech companies, mobility companies, car makers, OEM, exhibiting some kind of cars or some kind of mobility solutions or technologies that goes inside the vehicle. So I think CS is becoming more and more aligned with what we do at BestMind. Uh, so it's a great news for us. And we are using this event in order to reconnect or connect with existing customers or potential partners. Yeah. So let's get into your white. You did a white paper on what is fleet orchestration, uh, how to plan and manage optimized mobility services. Um, Give us an idea. I'll show, I'll show the, your website a little bit while you're talking, but maybe give us an idea of what you mean by fleet orchestration. Yes. So for us, really, when you are a mobility company and you, run, you want to run a mobility um, services or a mobility solution, at the end of the day, you need two big type of technology in your ecosystem. You need on one side a fleet of vehicles, might be autonomous vehicle or human-driven vehicles, and on top of that, you need a platform deciding in real time which vehicle is doing what in the fleet and deciding uh, what vehicles are doing in real time in an efficient way. And this is what we are building at Best Mile. So we are not building any kind of vehicle. We are not building any kind of technology that goes inside the vehicle. We are building a cloud-based ecosystem on top of the vehicle, enabling mobility companies to run efficient mobility solutions. And solution can be based on autonomous vehicle, like robotaxi, autonomous shuttle, but also human-driven fleets, uh, where we are in enabling solutions like high-dealing, microtransit, and, and so on. Um, so we are a pure B2B uh, software provider. We don't operate ourselves, our own fleet. Uh, we see ourselves as an enabler, and our goal is to make sure our partners and customers are operating efficient mobility solutions. Do you ever find that the push in industry for things like autonom autonomous driving and electric, is it is it like are we caught up in this trend or this idea that those things are better and more efficient or better for the environment? Or, you know, or it, it, like are we doing it just for the sake of doing it because it's new and exciting? I mean, what's the real? You know, what are we like you said? Maybe it's to help cut back on congestion, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. is there evidence that that these ideas are really transforming civilization and society in the way that we, that, that we hear about in, re in the rhetoric. Sure, but I think if you look at all the big cities today around the globe, we have to acknowledge that the existing mobility solutions or mobility offering is a little bit broken. Way too many people are still using their private car. You have a lot of congestion. You have a lot of traffic. And at the, end of, at the end of the day, owning a private car is something pretty expensive. Uh, it's usually the second most expensive asset 
someone is going to own in, in his life after an apartment or a house. Mm -hmm. And it's something you are just using maybe one or two hours max a day. Um, and so I think today the system is a little bit broken. And this is why you have so many startups, companies, car makers working on more efficient mobility solutions in order to provide alternatives, at least in big cities around the globe. And I think the benefits, uh, you will have a lot of different types of benefits. On one side, safety, because for sure the goal of autonomous vehicle is to be safer than human drivers and so to reduce the number of accidents. Most of these autonomous vehicles are going to be electric, so you will be able to reduce emissions. And at the end of the day, if you have a network of uh, vehicles that is shared and, uh, and operated in an efficient way, you will need a fairly small number of vehicles to run uh, a big city. And by doing that, you will be able to, um, to reduce traffic. Uh, it's moving fast is quite an understatement. I know that when I launched the Autoconverse blog, the tagline I used was the future of mobility. And this mm -hmm. was about four years ago, four years ago, maybe even, yeah, about four years ago, called the future of mobility. Last year, I dropped the word future out of it and just started referring to it as mobility technology and mm -hmm. connectivity because it doesn't seem like it's futuristic anymore. But you yes, know. this year we see more and more flying drones or flying taxis. Yeah. It's clearly not yet deployed uh, in any city worldwide, but might be done in a few years. Yeah. And I hear robotaxis, uh, flying robotaxis are all mm -hmm. the rage right now at CES. Exactly. It's a big buzz this year. Um, so usually CES is always a little bit too optimistic. Uh, when I was attending CS four to five years ago, uh, Robotaxi were announced for 2020, which is today. Mm -hmm. So as I said before, it's already a reality. You have a few examples worldwide, like Waymo, Lyft, uh, Active, and, and others. But I think we are not at the stage that people thought three or four years ago. So it's taking a little bit more time than expected. Uh, but it's coming. And it's, I think it's going to be the same with flying Robotaxi. Sooner than later, we will start to see a few deployments, maybe in cities like Singapore or, uh, or Dubai. Yeah, economies in the real world really test ideas. So we come out with these ideas, we put them in motion, and, and you, know, you have to have an economy behind it to, to, to really, to really yeah. make, it, make it drive. Well, fascinating subject matter, uh, to say the least. Uh, and uh, it's, it's fun to chit chat about these things with someone who's really entrenched in the, the technology of it all. So uh, Raphael Gindred, everybody from Best Mile. Raphael, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, enjoy your time at uh, CES. Thank you. That was Raphael Gindrat, CEO and co-founder of Best Mile, talking with me from CES in Las Vegas back in January, early January. Folks, if you like what we're doing here, take a moment, if you haven't already, to let us know by leaving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. You can also visit our Facebook page and post a review there. Go to www.autoconversion.net forward slash Facebook. Now, this next segment features my conversation with Lyman Savvy, founder and CEO of 321 Ignition. 321 is a website platform for car dealerships and is designed to be the world's best car shopping experience on a mobile device. Here's our conversation. So welcome to the show. You're dialing in from Seattle, correct? Yes. And you launched 321 Ignition, I want to say in 2018. 
Yeah, wait, right? no, 2019. So, well, okay. uh, November, um, November 2019 was our one-year anniversary, so we've been in business now for a year and a month, two One months. full solid year. Okay. Yeah. Now, you, now 321 provides a, a website platform for auto retailers, yes? Yes, it's a mobile-first website platform, um, whereas all of our competitors, other providers, they're all mobile-responsive. We're the only ones that, that's mobile-first. Okay, but if I want to look at one of your dealer websites on a laptop or uh, you know a non-mobile device, I'm still going to have a good interface and experience. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, but that's table stakes. That's like what kind of a website you don't you don't have a good desktop sure. experience. Sure. And so take me back to you know what led you to say I need to get into the automotive you know technology space. Was there some sort of aha moment? Was it an experience that you had? Yeah, it was a huge aha moment. So what happened was I was I was helping a best friend um, who worked for a dealership. It's an independent dealership here in Washington State. They're doing really well. I think they sell like close to 200 cars per month or 150 cars per month. And so, but my friend, um, she's been in that dealership since she was 17 years old. She started out as a finance manager, then she became a COO of the dealership. And so then one day she just asked me to come into her store, just see what they're doing, you know, in terms of a marketing and sales and stuff like that, just to, you know, give her some advice. Maybe there are some things that could be doing better, even though, even though the dealership is a very successful dealership. So one day I came into her store, it was a Saturday. I spent maybe four or five hours at that store, just analyzing their reports, their analytics, their website and everything. And that's when I uncovered, um, the all, all the things that were going wrong um everything from tracking like for example they weren't tracking leads in their google analytics they were just tracking um how many impressions visitors which you know impressions visitors is great but ultimately it's um you know how many people are becoming a lead how many people are scheduling a test drive filling out a get pre-approved application so on and so forth and so that's when i started evaluating her marketing agencies that she was using and I couldn't believe some of the stuff that I was seeing. And then I started doing more research primarily to help her out. I was seeing, you know, maybe she's just not using the right vendors. And so I started researching vendors and started researching uh, marketing agencies and their backgrounds. And that's when I realized, I'm like, wow, um, automotive is a little bit behind and I think I could do better. And so I just decided to start my own company. Give me an idea, and thank you for sharing that. Give us an idea of that time period. You say you started researching. You know, was this over the course of two, three months, or, or a year? What's that time phase look like? Um, original research when I started helping her, maybe two to three months. Um, and then when I decided to actually start my own company and start doing more thorough research, it took me about four months to really understand who's who, because automotive, there's a lot of providers and understanding who's who is actually very, very time consuming because the other part about automotive is the, um, these companies who provide services um, for automotive, they're not really good at doing their own marketing. So if you go to their website, it's actually really hard to tell who does what and what makes them different. So not until I started going to NADA conferences and um, local um, independent automotive dealers associations, that's when I really learned who's who. And, it was, it became even more and more clear to me that I need to do this. Were you at NADA last year? I was, and I'm going okay. there again this year. Are you going to be there? I will. Yep. So we'll have to, we'll have to get together and, and have a backdoor conversation, all this, but we're going to get into some good stuff here because one of the things that stood out for me uh, in doing my research on you was your emphasis on Gen Z and millennial buyers. 
and th this came up and comes up in conversation all the time. I think that I think it's become a little cliche to in this business to say, "Oh, millennial buyers do this and millennial buyers do that." Yeah. Well, the the age demographic of millennial today, I think, is getting into the upper thirties. If I'm yeah, accurate, up to the age of 40, cause I'm a millennial and I'm not a 40 yet. So okay. Like yeah. I think it's like getting into your upper thirties. So now we have Gen Z who are pretty much going to start buying cars soon. These are late teenagers, early twenties, early to mid twenties. They're starting to buy cars and I'm already are buying cars. I mean, I bought my first car when I was 17. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that's starting. It's not like Gen Z is the, is tomorrow's buyer. They're starting to buy cars now. It's, yeah. it's it's today's buyer, and you know I have a I have a nephew. Okay, he's 15, and I got a friend request from him on mm -hmm. Facebook a couple months ago, and I said, "Oh, you're decided to join the land of Facebook," and he says, "Yeah, I figured I ought to since that's where all the adults are." That's what mm -hmm. he said. Um, I have a 15 and a 10 year old sons and for my 15 year old in his circle, Snapchat is where they, that's where they are. Uh, Instagram became much less of a thing, at least for him. Um, but Snapchat is where these, these consumers, these future car buyers are spending their time. Um, so I want to kind of pick your brain on what you know and understand about these Gen Z buyers? Yeah, so most people don't know this about me, but I'm a total data nerd. Um, I love data. When I have an Excel spreadsheet in front of me and I go into pivot table heaven and VLOOKUPS heaven, like I do everything based on data. So my research basically consisted of, you know, I went to those one of those lead aggregator websites like the car gurus, the auto traders of the world, and I um, collected over 13,000 dealership websites. Then I hired people to help me go manually to each dealership website, scroll to the very bottom of the website and see who is the website powered by. So imagine now I have 13,000 dealerships, you know, exactly what their brand uh, OEM manufacturer is, uh, the city, state, zip code, how many cars they have in inventory, um, everything there is to know about the dealership. I have all that information, including who powers their website. So then I was able to slice and dice the data and see is there any commonalities between if a dealership is independent versus a franchise, who they use for their website provider? Is it uh, varies by state? Is it varies by number of cars they have in, on the lot? So I have all this data. And so then once I started going to each of those dealership websites, and I would manually myself, and I also hired people to do it too, we would go to each of those dealership websites and just see, um, you know, what's the experience like on a mobile device? What is the experience like on a desktop device? And we would go back and check, do the features different? Is the user experience different? And it's crazy to me, but uh, some cases the features would disappear from mobile. They should have been in mobile. And in some cases, the features will be in mobile. They should not be in mobile because they're not relevant for mobile. So it was clear to me that those websites were not designed with the mobile user in mind. It's just basically a response to, so you could see the website, but it doesn't mean anything. And, you know, we talk about millennials and Gen Zs. What's interesting to me is millennials and Gen Zs, they're the most skeptical generation in history. And the reason is, is because they grow up with the most powerful research tool in the world, which is internet. You know, so they like to do their own research. 
And I, previously, you know, you and I were talking about how dealerships didn't used to think that the website could help them sell cars. Now, of course, they do believe that the website could help them sell cars. But then after doing, you know, this uh, quantitative research, I started do, doing qualitative research where I would go and actually visit dealerships and talk to dealerships. And some of the biggest auto groups that I would talk to here in Washington State, one guy was telling me, He's like, Lyman, you know, I don't want a consumer to be spending too much time on my website. He's like, I want a consumer to walk, to walk into my dealership and then I could sell him a car. The more time they spend on my website, the less likely I am to sell a car. What's interesting is actually, that's actually quite the opposite. So there's research done by Harvard uh, Business um, uh, School and they um, collected over, I think it was 60,000 or 50,000 consumers that done research this. It wasn't specifically for automotive, but it was across many different industries. And one of the things that they uncovered is that um, Omnichannel helps you actually build trust and sell more, not only sell more, uh, more frequently and uh, to more customers, but also at a higher price point. And by Omnichannel, what I mean by that is you know, back in the days when the World Wide Web came around, people were just kind of, you know, hesitant about the World Wide Web. They were thinking uh, the retail br brick and mortar stores are going to start losing sales because people are just going and, you know, buying things online. But the research, the Harvard, Harvard Business Review research actually uh, says differently. It says people who spend time on a web before going into the actual brick and mortar stores, they're not only... Uh, more likely to buy, so their conversion rate is higher, but they're actually more likely to spend more. And one of the key reasons for that is because the more somebody feels informed, the more confident they feel about their purchase decision, therefore the more likely they are to spend more money. So imagine like if you're buying a Mercedes uh, car or a Lexus car, or even you know some of the lower end used cars as well, um, when you're making such a a huge purchase decision, you know, thousands of dollars. This is not a, you know, $20 purchase. This is thousands of dollars. Sometimes a five-year loan, sometimes eight-year loans these days. You know, you want to feel confident about the purchase decision you're about to make. And so if you could actually empower the consumer to do their research and allow them to do their homework, people who do their homework online, they're more likely to actually buy from you and also spend more with you. So it, it could mean a difference of, imagine this, Ryan, if it could mean a difference if somebody's buying a ten thousand dollar car and then they see a twelve thousand dollar car, if then done if they done their homework and understand the pros and cons and the you know the trade-offs, they will be willing to spend two thousand dollars more. That's a pretty, you know, that's twenty percent increase in revenue for a dealership. Let's talk about three two one ignition. What are some things that that your technology does that serves that philosophy to create engagement? And what is that? And then we'll get into what that engagement looks like. But can you give us an example or two? Yeah. So the biggest benefit of the dealership see with 321 Ignition is our website platform is mobile first. So it was designed with a consumer on a mobile device in mind. Of course, he has amazing experience on desktop, but most importantly is the mobile. So if you look at a dealership, Google Analytics, Google AdWords, and Facebook advertising, you will see majority of people that visit dealership websites are all on a mobile device. So um, for example, if you look at the Google Analytics, which tracks traffic from all the different channels, it would, you will see that over 65% of uh, uh, website visitors are mobile devices. So imagine if you don't have a good mobile experience, that means majority of people that one out of, or six out of 10 people that visit your website are, are not gonna have a good experience. Um, 
what's interesting is also when I start diving deeper into, let's say, for example, Google AdWords, which is SEM campaigns, which every dealership does Google AdWords campaigns. What's interesting is um, I see the majority of impressions, meaning how many people search for a dealership, is mobile, which is like 60 or 70%. But then what I'm also seeing is the majority of leads, like 99% of the leads, and I'm not even exaggerating, it's literally 99% of leads are happening from people on their mobile devices. So people do visit dealership websites on a desktop, but they take the most actions and actually engage with the dealership websites is on mobile devices. And then furthermore, if you look at the Facebook advertising, Facebook, you know, is a publicly traded company, so they publish all of their data. You could look up their earnings reports, and they'll say over 94% of Facebook users are on smartphones. So the key thing is if you're trying to appeal to the younger demographics, if you're trying to drive more of those people to your website, you have to have the best experience on mobile. Most dealerships think they have a traffic problem. Their problem is not traffic. Their problem is the user experience once traffic gets on their website. Mm-hmm. So the, going back to your question, you know, what, about 3 to one ignition, number one thing is the mobile experience. It's the by, far by best mobile experience in the industry. Two, it's uh, how we help consumers do their research. So, for example, um, search by monthly payment. Most people buy their cars with some sort of financing. It depends on the market. depends if you're selling high-end cars or low-end cars. It could be anywhere from 60% to 80% of people that buy a car is going to be through financing of some sort, whether it's a lease or, you know, purchase. And what's interesting is all the website providers that I've seen, I think there's only one website provider that actually shows you um, the monthly payment as well as a price on a search results page and a, on a vehicle detail page, but none of them actually allow you to search by monthly payment and customize the monthly payment terms. So going back to the, you know, helping gain trust with millennials and Gen Z's because millennials and Gen Z's research shows they don't even trust a doctor. So if they don't trust the doctor, do you think they're going to trust, you know, and I hope I'm not, you know, um, Offending any doctors? (laughs) Yeah, but they're they're not going to trust the car salespeople because you know car salespeople have a reputation. You know they're just trying to sell me a car. So imagine if you're um, to appeal to the Gen Z and millennials, if they're doing their homework and they're trying to understand, you know, what they could afford, what kind of car, and now allowing them to search by monthly payment, but most importantly, allow them to customize the monthly payment terms to say, well, my credit score is really good or my credit score is really bad, or I want to, I have a trade-in, or maybe I have a down payment, or maybe, you know, whatever other variables that affect their financing, allow them to modify those things and then show them the cars that meet their monthly budget based on, the, uh, on their financial circumstances. And I know it's crazy as it sounds, but I haven't found another company that allows a dealer that has a kind of capability for dealership websites. We're literally the only ones. Um, there are dealership websites that will allow you to search by monthly payment, but they don't allow you to customize. So if you don't allow a person to customize, then who cares if you show a monthly payment if it's not relevant to them or they don't even know what kind of terms went into it. And so the customization is key because consumers want to feel empowered and control. So if you think about like, for example, um, Progressive or Geico insurance companies, insurance companies, you know, they don't even, most of them don't even have a salesperson because they've built a website that allows a consumer 
um, to, to research and modify things. So let's say you went on the Geico website, you fill out all the information about your, your car, and it tells you what your car insurance premium would be. But then they allow you to say, well, name your price too, for example. They'll allow you to you know, say, well, I could only afford, let's say, $100 per month. They're like, okay, you could get $400 per month insurance, but here's what the coverage is going to be. Or they could say, add or subtract to your coverage, and then you see how it affects your premium, monthly premium. Same thing with cars. You know, it doesn't mean that a consumer is going to go and buy the cheapest coverage. They might still buy the more expensive coverage, but now they understand their trade-offs. They understand what they're getting, what, what they're not getting. So that level of transparency, it could mean a night and day difference between not only earning that customer's business, but also getting that customer to spend more with you because they're now like, okay, I trust this car salesperson. He's not just trying to sell me something. It's because that's how financing works, as an example. I, I like I like how you got to the punchline there. We're out of time. I'd love to come back. You know, we do, we do multiple sessions. You know, we do the show every week, but we do um, auto uh, retail uh, panel discussions throughout the month. And I think it'd be great for you to come back, participate in those, Lyman, because it allows you to uh, interface with people, you know, across the industry and get more granular into the specific, specific, specificity of of things like this. So let me thank you for, for, um, you know, for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you to Cindy who helped line this up. And I think from what I understand, you met with Mike Benavidez at the Autodate. Yes. Um, and I don't know if it was coincidental, but he had mentioned you and I had mentioned you and then you had mentioned him. And so, so here we are. And Mike reached out to me yesterday and said, I, he was glad to see that uh, we Mike Benavides is my boy. Yeah, Love that guy. really not. He also is a data data geek as well. I know that's uh, how we connected. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll I'll go I'll do a quick orientation for everybody. But Lyman, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Of course, thank you for having me. That was Lyman Savvy, founder and CEO of Three Two One Ignition, a mobile first dealership website provider based in the Seattle, Washington area. Now, before we move on to our third and final conversation piece, I would like to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, Cuneo Advertising, for helping support what we do here at AutoConversion and helping produce this podcast. It's a real privilege to get deep insights from industry experts like our guest today, and we're proud to be supported by Cuneo Advertising. Cuneo believes that accurate, relevant, actionable information is the foundation upon which successful marketing and advertising efforts are built. Our partnerships are based on trust, transparency, efficiency, and of course, results. Cuneo Advertising, driving sales for automotive retailers for four decades. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash Cuneo. And thank you. It could automate close to 50% of jobs in the Western world within the next two decades. Mm. For a lot of you and for myself, I know hearing two decades, 10 years, it's like kick the can, right? That's really, really far away. And the truth is, the older that I get, someone much wiser than me once said, the days go by slow, but the years go by fast. That's going to be upon us way, way before we know it. And in following kind of a lot of what's happening from healthcare to manufacturing to automotive, think about automotive with self-driving cars. I mean, Tesla now is valued 
the valuation of Tesla is greater than General Motors. A lot of that is the premise of new technology, right? Cars have cameras and sensors. I mean, we're going to get to a place pretty quickly where right now most folks that have a relatively new car, the car is self-parking, like my car will parallel park itself, which is a whole other story where I live in New York. That being said, we're going to get to a point where we could physically get into our car, sit in the back seat, read something, and put in the destination, and the car is going to take us where we want to go. The premise of that is based off of artificial intelligence. And the way that reimagines businesses is the data and information that is going to be collected on consumers and users as part of that is mind-blowing. That was Matthew Finelli, Senior Vice President of Digital Sales Operations with MNI Targeted Media, which provides online data-driven strategies that include programmatic, local, social, network, email, and search, a wide range of targeted data solutions across media platforms, categories, and audiences. And here's some of the highlights from my conversation with Matt. So Matt, hopefully you can talk and welcome to the show. I certainly can. And thank you guys so much for having me this afternoon. I greatly appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to sharing some pretty good insights on artificial intelligence and, you know, how that's really reshaping and reimagining business and everything that we do as consumers. Yeah. So let's get into that. You know, one of the things that I had, I'd read one of your articles about the changing role that AI, that AI plays uh, more in business and digital media and uh, I think in the article it says 20% of companies are expected to have dedicated workers that monitor invest into the AI. Is that by the end of this year? Is that accurate? That's going to be by yeah, that's accurate. That's going to be by by the end of this year, and it's it's really interesting because I think when we look at the growth of technology overall and how that's impacting our daily lives, the strides of development are happening at a faster pace than ever before in, in this particular topic, which I'm fortunate enough to be able to speak with all of you guys about today, is something that I've actually taken and I've been on the road, I've actually given a presentation just on artificial intelligence in over 30 markets throughout the United States. And I've had attendance where it's 15 people all the way up to just under 100 people. And there are so many folks when I ask them and they come out, you know, and these are clients and agencies of all sizes and PR shops, you know, I say to them, what is artificial intelligence? What does that mean? And for every 10 people I ask, I get 10 different answers. Sure. And really kind of at its core, right? It's the ability of machines to emulate human thinking, reasoning, and decision-making. That's what artificial intelligence is. And, you know, that, that creepy factor, or we hear from people like, oh, big brother, and that's, that's super creepy. And to your point, Ryan, about, you know, 20% of businesses by the end of the year are going to look to kind of make that leap and make that investment, you know, from a very good buddy of mine, Jeff Bezos, he's really not a, a good buddy of mine. I kind of wish he was for, you know, all the perks of that kind of a friend. But, you know, there's a great quote out there from Jeff, who, as you guys know, is CEO of Amazon, that basically states, Machine learning and artificial intelligence will empower and improve every business, every government organization, every philanthropy. Basically, there's not one institution in the world that cannot be improved with machine learning. 
And for those of you that have seen the Jetsons and remember Rosie the Robot, it's kind of upon us. And it's upon us in a myriad of different ways, really, across, across categories. Now, you look at a category like retail, where why do we think Amazon is blowing up? Well, if you need to go clothes shopping and you're going into the mall, you've got to drive to the mall, you've got to park your car, you've got to go in an elevator, up an escalator, you get into the store, you've got to search for what you want, and then too many times they don't have it in your size and or the color you're looking for, and they say, well, we're just going to ship it to your house. Well, when you look across specific groups of people, it's kind of like, well, why did I just waste my time? Because as consumers, because of the trifecta, we want what we want when we want it in the way that we want to receive it. We have no patience. We have no attention span. It's all about immediate gratification. Artificial intelligence is trying to break through and helping in retail. And a really awesome case study is Saks Fifth Avenue where they've instituted facial recognition through AI, where let's say as an example, Ryan, you go into Saks Fifth Avenue and you're a shopper and you use the Saks Fifth Avenue card, and at some point at checkout, they said, hey, listen, can we share special offers, et cetera, with you and your family? And you say, great. Sales associate in Saks Fifth Avenue and some of the stores where they're testing this, you walk in where you live in your home Saks, your face gets scanned, the sales associate gets pinged and comes up to you and says, hey, Ryan, great to see you again. How's the family? Do you want me to pull some things from Michael Kors? Because I know you really liked that the last time you were in. Because the truth is, the concept of customer service and differentiation, by the end of 2021, that is going to be a more important decision or product differentiator for us than price. It's about feeling special and someone going above and beyond. AI is specifically impacting and changing the way retail approaches that because brick and mortar stores and locations, because of the way consumer behavior patterns have changed, it's an issue for them. And they're making a tremendous, tremendous investment and how do I get a deeper, more meaningful, sticky relationship with my existing customers and my best customers? Because the reality is they are fickle. They can look things up. They want to, you know, in an immediate fashion, and they're going to shop us and figure it out. Are they willing to pay a little bit more for a better customer service experience? Research indicates, yes, for the most part, people are willing to pay a little bit more for a better experience. Because at the end of the day, that experience is what sticks out in our mind in terms of where we're gonna spend our money versus this drop to the lowest common denominator. And it's all steeped in technology, artificial intelligence, and data and how it's being used to make the consumer's life better, faster, more efficient. People that listen to the show here, that listen to the podcast, like to understand the technology behind these things because i think what you just shared was a lot of the um uh, more of the I, I dare to say rhetorical aspects of ai and retail and the benefits right you're basically saying hey it's not about 
Uh, it's not about price. It's about the experience and the personalization, the relevancy. Can you get a little bit granular into the technology uh, as it applies to, to M&I specifically? What does that look like from a, um, from a technological standpoint? And, and how, can a, how can a business that's listening to this kind of grasp what M&I, you know, the role that M&I will play? Yeah, so for us, in terms of kind of the world of artificial intelligence and the way that there's technology and application there, is really through our first-party data warehouse, which is steeped in performance of campaigns. And, and what I mean by that, Ryan, is, you know, there's so many folks that will harness technology and they'll say, listen, you know, we're going to reach the right people for you. And what I would say in the 20-plus years that I've been involved in, marketing technology, what I would say is that's 50% of the equation because while I'm going to get to the right people and be very finite in that targeting of the consumer and the individual, how do I get that person at the right place at the right time in the right mindset to complete a predetermined desired action, whatever that is for one of our customers, whether that's an in-store purchase, an online sale, a video completion, a click-through rate. So what we have done is we've basically created here from a tech standpoint, our own data warehouse that's steeped in performance data where we're breaking up these campaigns based on five criteria. Where are we running them, right? What's the geography? Who are we trying to reach? What was the category of business what type of creative did we run? And what was the metric for success? We've taken that criteria and built out a predictive analytics system, which is steeped in artificial intelligence to put forth somewhat of a pre-optimized plan to say, listen, you're trying to reach, you know, moms with kids in the household within this demographic that are looking to purchase a new SUV, and my metric for success is to schedule a test drive. Where am I going to reach them, right? What's the best environment to grab this audience to make them think about and get them at the right moment in time to schedule this test drive? What I will tell all of you listening to this show today is that is a game changer. Everyone that we talk to, whether you're a Fortune 100, 500, doesn't make a difference. Company, everyone has to prove the efficiency and efficacy of every marketing dollar that they're spending. The days of we're just going to try stuff, throw it out, stick it against the wall, and hope something works are over. It is. And let me, I know you got to go. Um, yep. I want to close on something fun. I'm a sure. third, I kind of get existential on you here. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of fear factor in the world. So a lot of people take this idea that, oh, computers and robots and AI are going to take over mankind. So in 60 seconds or less, are you, is that a concern for you? Is that a realistic concern? What's your thoughts on that? You know, I would say... I actually don't think it's a concern for me. I really don't. I think when it comes down to the individual and the person, I think there's so many different things that we're being exposed to and that makes sense for us. I very much come from the school of 
if something is going to make my life better, easier, more efficient because no one has free time on their hands, right? I think that's why it's not a concern for me because we're all looking for ways to make our lives better, more efficient, and I think that that's what's really important. You know, I will say data safety and compliance is super important, and I very much, I, I actually uh, was written up in eMarketer for a couple of different things about data and compliance. The reality is, right, that as long as we are educating people, this is the information we're collecting, this is where it's going, and this is how we're using it, and this is how it benefits you, I strongly believe the large percentage or a large percentage of people are okay with that. Fair enough. No, no fear of the Borg taking over the universe. Matt, I know you got to catch a flight. Thanks again for uh, sharing these, uh, these deep insights uh, on the subject. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the next one. That was Matthew Finelli from M&I Targeted Media talking with us from the airport, uh, Boston Logan, if I recall, on the Mobility Tech and Connectivity Show in late January. So there you have it, my friends, all three conversations from the Mobility Tech and Connectivity Show in January, unbeknownst to all of us, what was lying ahead. It's still great stuff, and I hope you agree. So the show is held via live streaming webcast every Wednesday. We've expanded the program a bit since January, and we now feature a full-fledged mobility and transportation group mastermind discussion each week. It's a lot of fun, and if you care to be a part of it, and head on over to autoconversion.net forward slash MTC, Mobility Tech and Connectivity, and get yourself signed up. It's free to participate, and by doing so, well, you might very well end up being on this podcast. Again, that's www.autoconversion.net forward slash MTC. I'm Ryan Girardi. In our next episode, we will be focusing on conversations related to how shared mobility and mobility as a service are transforming auto retail and fixed operations. Until then, stay informed, be focused, and let somebody you care about know how much they mean to you. Cheers. This is Audiburst Media.